When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning. Today is Thursday. I know today. It actually is. I know. Don't rush it. time because it moves fast, right? Too fast. Too fast. Too fast. But it is Thursday. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Caitlin is off. We've got a lot to get to. Why don't we start with the five things to know for this Thursday, April 20th, 2023. We're going to start with a tornado outbreak striking Oklahoma. At least two people are confirmed dead in the town of Cole. Significant damage reported. Also, the Supreme Court delaying its decision on Mifepristone until tomorrow. The justices seeking more time to issue a ruling that could impact the accessibility of the abortion pill across the country. And a judge here in New York ordering Mark Pomerantz to testify today before Jim Jordan's House Judiciary Committee. Pomerantz is a former prosecutor who once led the Manhattan DA's investigation into Donald Trump's business dealings. Also happening today, Twitter says it's going to remove, you know those check marks if you have one? with legacy blue check marks from accounts. It is a push by the company to have people pay a monthly fee to have the mark. And the mystery in our skies is a lot bigger than we thought. The Pentagon revealing it's tracking more than 650 potential UFO cases. CNN This Morning starts right now. Did you have a good night? Did you do anything fun? I had. <laughs> yeah, I put two little kids to bed. And then I said hi to my husband and read and went to bed. How was your night? I had fun. I had dinner with a uh, former uh, colleague good. and a very good friend. And good. Um, I also was talking to people at a restaurant. And, and they said, look behind you. And what, what was it? It was Kevin Hart. Oh, really? At dinner at a restaurant. He came over to say hello. He I is funny in person he's, as he is Oh, my on. gosh. He's the best. He's I love the, that. He's the best. I told I him I wanted that. to come see his show. He said, anytime. Can I go? All of us. With you? All of us, yeah. Okay. We should get to the news now, though. Because we have some serious stuff to talk about. A very busy news day. At least two people dead in Oklahoma after a tornado outbreak. And right now, the powerful storm is on the move. This is the aftermath in the small, hard-hit town of Cole. And it is about 30 miles south of Oklahoma City. A meteorologist for a local TV station came face to face with the tornado watch. Look at the winds flowing into the tornado. Oh, big power flash. It's hitting coal right now. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is incredible. Kyle, go ahead and back up a little bit more. We're fine where we're at. The tornado is getting stronger right back over here to the left. It's moving extremely slowly. Well, that is the same tornado that killed two people, and the danger not over yet. More than 50 million Americans are under threat of severe weather from South Texas all the way to Wisconsin and across the Midwest to Tennessee. Our meteorologist, Derek Van Dam, he is tracking the storm for us and the damage it's already done. Uh, good morning to you, Derek. The National Weather Service is, has, is warning people that uh, last night the storm was behaving erratically and it was hard to predict. So where is it going now? 
Yeah, extremely erratic. In fact, uh, these storms almost uh, working in tangent together and one absorbing the other. We can step through the storms. There's Oklahoma City, and you can almost see the progression of the tornado as it forms. But there was another tornado trying to form just to its north, cycles through and then drops yet another tornado to its north and east. So complicated, making it very challenging to issue warnings. But listen to what people had to contend with here in Oklahoma. A large tornado barreling through central Oklahoma Wednesday. The tornado is just to our south right here. Damon is pulling in tremendous inflow into it, continuing to produce damage. We have large hailstones being pulled into the tornado as well. The tornado hit coal, Oklahoma, killing at least two people, a local official told CNN. It's a very, very intense, very slow-moving tornado. The tornado left down trees and power lines, creating challenges for first responders to find those trapped. There were over 150 storm reports Wednesday and 15 tornadoes. Eight tornadoes hit Oklahoma, four in Iowa, and three in Kansas. Hail damaged this local station's helicopter mid-air. We are beat the hell up. I have no windshield. The helicopter's beat up. We are trying to make it to Paul's Valley and land. Multiple hailstorms hit parts of Oklahoma, causing severe damage. Workers at this Oklahoma Papa John's hid in the walk-in freezer that was surrounded by three feet of concrete. It was raining pretty hard, and then we heard hail, and I walked outside, and a piece of hail hit me in the face. So then I went back inside, and then we went back into the walk-in freezer. The general manager of that Papa John's says her car was thrown across the parking lot. My front door flew open and um, it was like flapping in the wind. So I ran out there and pulled the door shut and locked it so that it, I guess to protect us a little more. And then we went all back in the walk in. And then when it finally calmed all the way down, we came outside and yeah, my car is literally not where I left it. And this assisted living facility had to evacuate 33 of its tenants after the building was destroyed. And the front of this assisted living facility is just completely blown away. There's holes in it. There's no glass. Everything seems to be gone. Luckily, no injuries were reported. The windows are blown out and uh, there's water in the building. The girls had started getting people in their bathrooms and uh, for those that could and then pulling people away from the windows. So they're the heroes tonight. Yeah, regardless of how erratic these storms actually were, we have the ability to see inside of a tornado using these very powerful, very sensitive radars. And without even having an eyewitness account on the ground, we use what is called the correlation coefficient. So basically picks up on anything that is not a raindrop, not a snowflake, an erratic size. And uh, that indicates that debris is being lofted in the air. This is a velocity scan that shows us motion moving towards the radar and motion moving away from the radar. So we can pinpoint right where the tornado actually forms and continues to move on. So very, very impressive and very sensitive uh, uh, storm systems that we're able to use. And that is, of course, the result with the uh, wedge tornado that created uh, the destruction on the ground. We still have ongoing thunderstorms at the moment. Don and Poppy, they're moving through Kansas City as we speak. Keeping an eye on it. Derek Van Dam. Thank you, Derek. Wrong door, wrong driveway, wrong car. Three shootings, hundreds of miles apart, leaving these young people on your screen either injured or dead.
over everyday mistakes. Let's start in Texas, where two cheerleaders were shot after one tried to get in the wrong car by accident. One of them, Peyton Washington, still recovering in the intensive care unit this morning. Police say they've arrested this man who is known to law enforcement. Our Rosa Flores is live in Austin. Rosa, good morning to you. I mean, Don and I keep talking about this, cannot get over all of these young people being shot for a mistake. Do we know how Peyton Washington is doing? You know, she's still in the ICU, Poppy, and she is doing better. That's according to Lynn Shearer. She's the owner of the gym where Peyton trained, and she sent us a statement overnight. I want to read it to you. She said she is awake and talking. She will be in the ICU for a couple of more days while they control the risk of infection, and they will hopefully be able to go back in and close her up later this week so that she can begin the road to recovery. She was able to watch her team via FaceTime last night as they had their final practice and show off before leaving to compete this weekend. It was very hard for her to watch and not be there. And Poppy, as you might imagine, she is a competitive athlete and she really wishes that she could go to the world championships this weekend and she's not gonna be able to because she's gonna be in the hospital. Rosa, what can you tell us about the suspect, right? We understand he's known to law enforcement, fled the scene, but police found him pretty quickly. You know, police did find him very quickly, and it was through some police work. In essence, what detectives did is they, uh, they obtained the surveillance video from the grocery store. They were able to identify the suspect there because of the vehicle. They saw him in the black hoodie by the gas pumps and then in the parking lot. And what police did is they ran the license plates and went to the registered address. Well, lo and behold, the suspect's brother was the one who came out first. And then momentarily, the suspect walked out of that house, registered to the vehicle, in the same black hoodie that he was in the surveillance uh, video that detectives found. And so, Poppy, the name of the suspect, is Pedro Tello Rodriguez, a 25-year-old 20, um, from that area in Elgin, Texas. And uh, I should add that all of this is according to the search warrant affidavit, which also said that they recovered a gun, ammunition, and a magazine from that vehicle. Copy. Rosa Flores, keep us updated on, on her condition, and thank you for the reporting. We want to go now to Kansas City. That's where the man accused of shooting a black teenager who went to the wrong door has pleaded not guilty. 84-year-old Andrew Lester appearing in court in Missouri yesterday afternoon, facing assault and armed criminal action charges after admitting he shot Ralph Yarl. He said that he was scared the teenager was trying to break into his home. Yarl says that he went to the wrong address to pick up his younger brothers, rang the doorbell, and then was shot. His attorney responded to the judge letting Lester out on bond. I, I think that they need to hold this man in custody. Uh, I, I do think he has nothing to lose at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, he's likely going to be convicted, and it would be convenient, I, I guess, for him to try to skip town. So the attorney also releasing this photo of the teenager. He called Yarl. A walking miracle that said he has a long road to recovery after suffering from a traumatic brain injury. Lester is due back in court June 1st. And we should note in our next hour, we're going to talk to his grandson, Lester's grandson, who says that he is not surprised that this happened. A man accused of shooting and killing a young woman in his driveway in upstate New York has been denied bail, I should say. It could face more charges. Kevin Monahan is facing second-degree murder charges. He appeared in court yesterday. There he is wearing a suit and shackles. During that hearing, prosecutors said they could add a handful of other charges, including attempted murder. 
sheriff in rural Washington County says Kaylin Gillis died when Monahan shot at the car that she was riding in with friends. He says they were trying to pull out of the man's driveway after realizing they were at the wrong house. Her dad spoke out after that hearing. Here is our Bryn Gingrass reporting. Kaylin's two younger sisters, Lily and Maddie, are going to have to grow up without their older sister. My wife, Angel, is going to have to go through the rest of her life without her baby girl. A grieving father whose last words to his daughter were, I love you. Now, overcome with emotion after the man who allegedly killed 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis, ordered by a judge to remain behind bars. She was killed. Um, she's dead. I don't think there's any more serious harm than that. 65-year-old Kevin Monahan is facing a second-degree murder charge. Authorities say Gillis was with her boyfriend, Blake Walsh, and two others, driving on this rural New York road looking for a friend's house last weekend when they lost cell service. With no GPS, they pulled into Monahan's driveway. Police say he fired two shots as the car was turning around. Kaylin was hit. Walsh telling NBC, my friend said they're shooting, go. I tried to step on the gas as fast as I could, and that's when the fatal shot came through. I want to believe it was instant. I'm hoping it was. I'm praying it was. For this man to sit on his porch and fire at a car with no threat is just, just angers me so badly. And I, I just hope to God that he dies in jail. In court, prosecutors say Monahan, a longtime resident of Washington County, had a reputation. It is one of being confrontational and hot-tempered. Monahan's attorney tells CNN he has no criminal history and fired the shots because he believed the cars were revving their engines and Monahan felt threatened, adding, quote, he's a normal human being who was involved in a tragic series of events. And of course, he feels horrible that a young girl's life was lost. Gillis, remembered most for her smile, was set to move to Florida with her family at the end of the year. She loved animals, so she planned to study marine biology. She was so smart. She was so smart, kind, loving. She had so many friends. And was excited to begin a life with her boyfriend. He's an amazing young man. He wanted to marry my daughter. And I would have loved that. Gillis died next to him that night, killed for simply making a wrong turn. Bringing grass, CNN, Washington County, New York. All of these young people, all of these young people being shot, killed. We have Peyton in the ICU. Mm -hmm. A six-year-old. That's right. That was grazed by a bullet because her ball yeah. rolled into someone's in yard. North Carolina. I, it's senseless. I mean, it, we have to get a handle on it. We, we keep saying it, nothing happens, but something has to happen. We could do an entire show mm -hmm. of just shootings. We we're talking before the show of just shootings that happened overnight or in the, just the past couple of days. Just an entire exactly story right. after story after story after story. We're going to update people a little bit later on. Yeah, John Miller's going to be here. We'll talk about that, as a matter of fact. And what you just brought up about yeah. this six-year-old in North Carolina, we'll have yeah. more on that later. Meantime, in Washington, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy scrambling to get his party on board with his new debt limit proposal ahead of a crucial vote next week. Why some Republican lawmakers are not completely sold on this. And a new signal that President Biden may be preparing to officially, he said he's going to do it, but not officially, is an announced a run 
on for re-election, but maybe officially soon. Why a big meeting next week may be the clearest indication yet. Hmm. But they all... More CNN this morning to come after the break. The Supreme Court is allowing an abortion pill to stay available on the market until at least midnight tomorrow. That is the new deadline for the Supreme Court to decide whether it will cut off access to mifepristone. This all comes after a Trump-appointed judge abruptly revoked the abortion pill's FDA approval, even though it's been widely available for more than 20 years. The Biden administration fighting to overturn that ruling. It is the most significant abortion-related dispute to reach the Supreme Court since the justices overturned Roe versus Wade last June. Let's bring in senior legal affairs correspondent Paula Reed. Paula, good morning to you. Uh, a lot of people have questions about why the court would do this. Do we have any indication as to why the delay? Well, an administrative stay being extended like this is certainly unusual. It suggests they're up to something behind the scenes, maybe working on a nuanced extension of the stay or their own opinion. But at this point, it's unclear exactly why they've extended this pause. The big headline for folks at home, Poppy, is that this widely used abortion drug will continue to remain available, but we could get an update tomorrow. At the center of this controversy is mifepristone, a drug that is used in combination with another drug in a process called medication abortion, which accounts for over half of all the abortions in the United States. And after the Supreme Court last spring, as you will remember, they overturned the constitutional right to an abortion, medication abortion became a real focus, both in conservative state legislatures and in litigation. And a few weeks ago, the judge in Texas invalidated the FDA's decades-old approval of mifepristone. And right now, the Supreme Court has to decide, okay, what do we do with that decision while this larger issue works its way through the courts? Would they, by midnight tomorrow night, Paula, would they, the court be deciding on the merits of it? Or would that be down the road? We expect that would be down the road, but Poppy, they have a lot of options on the table here. Uh, they could decide to just take up this case and decide it before the end of the term, which is usually in June. They could also let this continue to work its way through the appeals court process. The issue immediately in front of them right now is what do you do with access to this drug and this Texas judge's decision mm -hmm. while this issue is being considered on the merits? But look, they could certainly come out with an opinion that would be expected that they would likely want to hear oral arguments and have briefings and all of that on such a consequential sure. issue. So right now we expect there could be an update or there could be another extension tomorrow, but it's clearly a case that everyone is watching. Paula Reed, thank you for the update. Paula's here for two weeks. Now we don't get to see her. I know. She's abandoned Come us back. for Washington, D.C., Paula Reed. <laughs> Come back. We miss you. We like having you on set. <laughs> it's good to see I'd you. I'd love to come back anytime. <laughs> yeah, we love having you. Okay, so Republican Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is continuing his effort to get members of his party to go along with his plan to raise a debt ceiling and cut federal spending. Not all GOP lawmakers are fully on board yet. I was no yesterday, and I'll be a no until I fully read the package and see what it does and doesn't do. We just continuously lie to the American public, say we're going to cut, 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 and then we, we agree to something, and then, you know, here we are. We're back at our limit again. I support the framework, but I haven't looked at i, I got to go look at the text. The devil's in the details. We'll see. The devil's in the details. Mm. Well, joining us now, seeing congressional correspondent Lauren Fox. Lauren, good morning to you. Apparently, as he said, the devil's in the details. So what is McCarthy's plan to get the Republican holdouts to play ball? 
Yeah, and McCarthy can only lose four Republicans. You saw four there in doubt already. So what is inside this package? House Republicans unveiling their own debt ceiling plan yesterday, and it would increase the country's borrowing limit to $1.5 trillion or until the end of March next year, whichever one comes first. The legislation also restores spending levels to 2022 levels, as well as repeals some items like more money for IRS enforcement and green tax credits. So there's a lot in here that conservatives can rally around. But the question is, are they going to provide Kevin McCarthy the votes? And that is so critical because the House Speaker has to be able to prove Republicans are united to get back to the negotiating table with the White House. The president has already cast doubt that McCarthy is going to be able to get this job done. The big test next week when lawmakers return after the weekend, that is when leaders are hoping to put this bill on the floor. But a lot of questions remain whether or not these spending cuts are big enough to win over the conservatives that you you heard there, mm-hmm. still doubting whether they can back this package, Don. So, Lauren, uh, President Biden's debt ceiling plan is essentially no negotiating, a clean increase. Is that more likely to get congressional support here? Well, that's certainly more likely to get support in the U.S. Senate, which is controlled by Democrats. But even there, there's really a huge question of how this gets resolved, because you would still need 10 Republicans in the U.S. Senate to vote with Democrats to ensure that a debt ceiling could pass. So there's a huge question mark right now how this gets resolved on. And behind the scenes, there's not some quiet negotiation happening. This is all playing out in public. And right now, both sides incredibly dug in with the ear of a potential default really possible by early or midsummer. All right. Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill early this morning. Thank you, Lauren. And new this morning, the Biden administration slamming the House Speaker's debt ceiling proposal. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre writing in a statement, MAGA House Republicans are holding the American economy hostage in order to take a hatchet to programs Americans rely on every day to make ends meet. She added this, House Republicans must avoid default and stop playing economic brinksmanship with the American people's livelihoods and retirements. Our next hour, Karine Jean-Pierre will join us live, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Governor Ron DeSantis already facing headwinds in the 2024 race for the White House, even though he hasn't officially announced he's running. Why his potential rival, Donald Trump, is focused on racking up endorsements in Florida, plus this. We are fighting this. No, I reclaim my time. You're a liar. You are letting this go on and the numbers prove it. You can't lie about the facts, Secretary Secretary Mayorkas. GOP Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene calling Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas a liar. How that forced members of her own party to silence her for the rest of a hearing. Straight ahead. This morning, new reporting on two of the biggest names in the 2024 presidential race who have yet to announce runs, President Joe Biden and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. CNN is now reporting that top Democratic donors and fundraisers have been invited to meet Biden next week as he nears a likely re-election announcement. And The New York Times is reporting that a pro-DeSantis super PAC is quietly making some big hires in key states, expanding the potential nominee's political footprint in the run-up to 2024. Let's bring in national political correspondent for The New York Times, Shane Goldmacher. He reported on both stories we just mentioned. Your piece this morning, just published in The Times, is fascinating. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So if we could just start on DeSantis, what I think is really interesting is he got all this attention and seemed like a shoo-in. But you write, there are growing questions about DeSantis' own ability to win over the independent and suburban voters who deliver the White House to President Biden and 
whether the hardline stances the governor has taken, including on abortion, will repel the very voters that he promises to win back. Yeah, I was just up in New Hampshire with him over the weekend. It was his first trip. And it's just so clear that central to his pitch is that he's the electable Republican. Now, he's not saying Donald Trump's name on the stump just yet, but his whole argument is, look, the party's been losing. Look at how much I've won in Florida. This is why you should turn the page and have a new face for the party. And now he just went to Washington, D.C. to try to collect some endorsements and some support and really stop the bleeding that he's been experiencing. And Trump was the person who ended up with more endorsements this week, including from the Florida delegation. And it's just a sign of some of the struggles he's including having. Including from the Florida delegation. The fl- yeah. That's interesting. His own, His own state, right? You know, so, and then, look, this is one of the challenges of running against a former president. He has an apparatus. He has relationships in Washington, D.C. And it's just one of the challenges for DeSantis. He is saying, I'm the electable candidate. And it's not clear, even among some of his own donors and supporters with some of his positions, that if that's going to be the case. If they think so. Uh, you, you, you said he went to, to Washington. He met with John Cornyn, Senator John Cornyn. Let's listen to some of that, and then we'll discuss. The most important thing to me is, uh, is winning the election. It doesn't do you much good to come in second, and uh, because you can't set the agenda, you can't um, pursue your policy agenda. And uh, so I think people want to get behind somebody who they are confident can win in 2024. Okay, so this talk of electability is who's he speaking to here? Is he speaking to is he speaking about Donald Trump or is it Ron DeSantis or what is he? I mean, I think John Cornyn's probably speaking about Donald Trump, right? The congressional Republicans have had a front row seat to the challenges that Trump has brought to the party. They lost the House in 2018. Trump lost in 2020. They lost the Senate in 2021. In 2022, they had more disappointing elections, right? They have seen the challenges that Trump has brought to the party in the last few years. At the same time, they're not rallying behind Ron DeSantis just yet. And that's one of the struggles that he's having. So that's not an endorsement of Ron DeSantis. It's just that we have to be careful in who we choose. Yes. I mean, this is this is the kind of comments you make when you think that Donald Trump is the front runner of the Republican Party and you have concerns that he's the front runner in the Republican Party. What about Biden meeting with all these donors? Yeah. So there's been real questions when Joe Biden's actually going to get into yeah. this race. Uh, at the same time, his advisors say there's no pressure for him to jump in. Yeah, He's really he? been accelerating. Why would he at this point? Because he doesn't act, have to act like a presidential candidate. But go on. He, he, he could just be president, right? And Absolutely. And this is what their argument has been. And I think that even if he does enter the race, he's mostly going to just be president. He's not going to be rushing around the campaign trail right away. The reason just answered why you would get in right now is money. Yeah. The reason is to start raising money, to building a war chest, and to start building relationships in some of these states. There's only a few really competitive states, and you want to be out there touching people. So he's invited a lot of his top donors, people who raised at least a million dollars for the last campaign, to come to Washington, D.C. at the end of next week, have a private meeting with him in the evening. There's been some chatter about he could get into the race as early as next week. Uh, it's the Tuesday is the four-year anniversary of his first entry into the campaign. It's the kind of thing he loves. He loves that, uh, one of his favorite quotes, when hope and history rhyme. He loves mm-hmm. that idea of bringing things together. So it's not clear what he's going to do. There's been some talk about delaying as well. Um, but this is certainly a sign things are getting more serious as he's bringing all of his top donors into D.C. All righty. <laughs> Before you go, I do want to ask you about this moment that was so startling to us, to oh. everyone, I think, regardless of party, Marjorie Taylor Greene, in this committee hearing, um, and she called DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas a liar. Let's play it. We are fighting this. No, I reclaim my time. You're a liar. You are letting this go on, and the numbers prove it. You can't lie about the facts, Secretary, Secretary Mayorkas. 
chairman of that committee then uh, admonished her for doing it, and she couldn't talk the rest of the hearing. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is what Marjorie Taylor Greene has done. She's come to Congress, she's made waves, she's gotten attention. And I think the most interesting thing is when she first got there a year ago, two years ago, she was uh, sort of outcast at the time. She was taken off committees, Kevin McCarthy was distancing himself from her. But you know, when he needed to run for speaker, he brought her in. She was a key part of his team. And so while she might've been silenced that committee, she absolutely has a big voice in the House yeah. Republican Conference right now. Good point, Shane, thank you. Thanks, Shane, good to see you. Clashes breaking out between Sudan's rival military forces. This is despite just declaring a ceasefire, how all of this is harming the civilians. Plus, a North Carolina kindergartner and her dad were shot and injured after neighbors say the little girl's ball rolled into a different backyard. Now the alleged shooter is on the run. Details of the manhunt straight ahead. Told that is the favorite song of a certain anchor here, not seated next to me. Apparently, Berman loves this song. That is Bonnie Tyler's 80s hit, Total Eclipse of the Heart, part of the world, parts of the world. Don's just going to serenade the whole segment, which will make it even better. <laughs> so maybe you were somewhere in the world last night where you were treated to your own rare hybrid solar eclipse overnight. An apple. It was a one was a diamond ring, an apple, now it's a half moon. It's beautiful. It's when an eclipse shifts between a total eclipse and an annular eclipse, all depending on location. Check out this view from Australia. The U.S. missed out this time. According to NASA, the next hybrid eclipse takes place in 2031. You know who's here? Jana Levin is here, an astrophysicist, a professor of physics and astronomy at Barnard College. Columbia, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Always so, fun to be here. Uh, it, it's we, we had you with the spacesuits before, yes. right? You, you were going to get a sample, so that didn't happen. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I know. That I wanted bit. to wear one today. Lots to talk about, including SpaceX and UFOs. But first, explain to us how this unique hybrid solar eclipse, how unique this hybrid solar eclipse is. It's about once every 10 years or so. And uh, a total eclipse happens because, by coincidence, the moon happens to be just the right size in the sky mm -hmm. that it can completely occult the sun. That's just an accident. It didn't need to be that way. But if you're uh, the moon, the distance to the moon and the sun configuration changes. And so from some parts of viewing, the moon actually looks smaller than the sun. Mm. And so that makes an annular eclipse where you can still see around the perimeter. But from right at the zenith, you can see a total eclipse. And then if you're not exactly in that path of totality, it looks partial um, for, for a sort of swatch across the earth. Really cool. Yeah. Talk mostly around Indonesia. East Timor, mm. Australia, New Zealand, around there. So we missed it. But on April 8th, uh, 2024, there's going to be a very popular eclipse. People are already gearing up for it okay. of totality that will pass across the U.S. Wow. Mm. Okay. Um, One year from now. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this hearing yesterday. We, we were talking about mm -hmm. UFOs or UAPs, as they're officially called. Yeah. And there was a big hearing mm -hmm. uh, in Congress yesterday about it. And what we learned is that the Pentagon says that they're tracking more than 650 potential UFO cases. Mm -hmm. We got two new declassified UFO videos yesterday. People can see them. We're going to play them. Uh, this is a sighting from South Asia last year. The Pentagon says the object was likely a commercial aircraft. Here's a Pentagon's top official yesterday explaining the other object that remains unidentified, if we have it. You'll see it uh, come through the top of the screen. There it goes. And then the camera will slew to follow it. You'll see it pop in and out of the field of view there. 
This is essentially all of the data we have associated with this event from some years ago. It is going to be virtually impossible to fully identify that just based off of that video. As we get more data, we will be able to go back and look at these in a fuller context. That was the Senate Armed Services Committee. Mm -hmm. what, what do you make of these anomalies? Well, I assume you're having me on because you want to know if it's aliens. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's very likely drones. I, that's what I said. I, is it a drone? <laughs> but I think it is... Uh, interesting to talk about uh, the idea that there's life out there. And we now know that there are more planets in our galaxy than there are stars. So it's really impossible to believe that there's no other life out there. I think what's extremely unlikely is that it happens to be right in our vicinity and they happen to be technologically advanced right when we are and they happen to use the same kind of technology. So, so all of that's incredibly unlikely. Um, but uh, that there are amoeba or bacterium in other solar systems is to be anticipated. It'll be really the discovery of the century if we make that discovery. So they had to scrub the launch on Monday for SpaceX because of a yes. frozen valve. And this yeah. is potentially the rocket that will take us to the moon and beyond maybe Mars. Mm -hmm. um, so then what do you think? A lot riding on the success of this rocket? There is a lot riding on the success of the launch. Uh, the amazing thing that SpaceX is doing is having reusable rockets. Yeah. And that's really huge. Imagine every time you have to take a flight, you need to build a new spacecraft, a new, a new plane. Um, so really what they've been perfecting is landing. And you saw a bunch of uh, previous tests blow up. But the Starship, which is taller than the, than, uh, the Statue of Liberty, it's really huge, um, uh, will be able to land, hopefully. And so it's reusable and it can land on the moon as, without blowing up and carry a really heavy cargo and a large number of passengers. So they really see it as the way to get not just to the moon, but to Mars. Very cool. Eventually. Yeah. Didn't we, have a, a, we had a cool like, um, eclipse during the lockdown, didn't we? I remember running outside and taking pictures. Oh, you know, I don't really remember. Oh. There, was, there was an eclipse in 2019, the Great yeah. American Eclipse, which yeah. was fantastic. We had partial viewing from New York. And with the eclipse in April next year, there will be partial viewing in New York, too. And that's pretty spectacular. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you Professor, so much. Thank you very much. I really much. appreciate it. Good to see you. Good to see you. Really extreme weather overnight in Oklahoma. At least two people are dead this morning after a tornado outbreak. Where that threat is headed next, also this. Plus, an IRS agent now seeking whistleblower protections from Congress alleging that the Hunter Biden investigation is being mishandled, the information the agent claims to have regarding the investigation. More CNN this morning to come after the break. Tiger Woods recovering from yet another surgery. The Hall of Famer announcing on Twitter yesterday that he underwent a successful procedure on his right ankle to relieve arthritis pain from an earlier fracture. It is the latest surgery in a very, very long list of them for Woods. He had three procedures done on his knee and five on his back. And his latest surgery throws the rest of this season and his chances to win more major tournaments in doubt. So joining us now, Michael Bamberger. He is a former senior writer at Sports Illustrated and the author of The Second Life of Tiger Woods, which covers Woods' win at the 2019 Masters. Hey, Michael, good to see you. Thank you for joining us this morning. So Tiger has a lot of rehab ahead of him. When are we going to see him on the course again, you think? I would, my guess would be the father-son tournament, probably the first major of majors for him. In December of this year, I think that would be uh, that would be optimistic. 
Tiger, someone in his career, is always pointing towards something. Playing golf with his son seems to be the most important thing in his life right now, in his athletic life anyway. So I don't think we'll see him for any of the, the, the rest of the majors and maybe not until December at the father-son tournament. Well, he did have this quote uh, to our Don Rydell uh, at the Masters. He said, I don't know how many more I have in me, so just have to be able to appreciate the time I have here and cherish the memories. Is this the end of an era? I think, you know, it's the winding down of an end of an era. We talked about this Don, right before the Masters. But part of the beauty of the Masters is there's so much spring anticipation, and I know you, you've been to it. But once it's over, it's kind of deflating. Something Jack Nicholas used to say is any year he didn't win the, the Masters, it was slightly depressing because then he couldn't win the Grand Slam. In this case, we're talking about not even Tiger was winning the Grand Slam. We're talking about him actually actually competing at events uh, anymore. He, he has been hard on his body. Life's been hard on his body. We, we all know the things that have gone wrong uh, in his life. And tragically, he's taking a toll at it. It's taken a toll at age 47. Yeah, but, you know, we've counted him out before. I shouldn't say I don't mean me personally, but the, the public has counted him out before. And then he had that amazing 2019 Masters win. Uh, you know, in your book, the, the Second Life of Tiger Woods, you write about that. But do you think we're going to see a third life of Tiger Woods? Yes, I do. Uh, that's very well said, Don. It's, some of the old people in golf are some of the wisest people in golf. Lee Trevino and Jack Nicklaus most particularly. One of Jack's things, he has said this for, for those who don't know, Jack's won 18 major champions, Tigers won 15, Tigers missed dozens of, of majors because of illness. One of the things Nicholas has always said about Tiger Woods is never bet against Tiger Woods, never count this Tiger Woods out. His will is like some like nobody else's we've ever seen. And Phil and, and Tiger and Phil Mickelson do not have the warmest of relationships, to say the least. Phil won a major championship at age 50. Phil finished uh, second in last week's Masters, two weeks ago Masters, um, at age 52. That's going to be a motivator for Tiger Woods. So, yes, I agree with you, Don. You can never count out Tiger Woods on anything. We love having you on. Michael Bamberger, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Seen in this morning continues right now. Yet another shooting of someone who made a minor mistake and got shot because of it. They're going to have fears that they never thought about in their life that now they're going to think about all the time. There is this culture within America that shoot first, we ask questions later. What is going on in this country? At least two people are dead this morning after severe storms tore across three states overnight. The tornado left down trees and power lines, creating challenges for first responders to find those trapped. We're seeing a number of emergency crews all over this area. Look at all the damage. The inflow is insane. Access to the common abortion drug, Mifepristone, still legal, at least for now. This is a really uncertain time for the abortion rights movement, a Pandora's box of potential legal issues. The real question is, will they hear it? And where are they headed on this? We don't want a Supreme Court justice in our bedrooms telling us what to do. Can you hear me? Nat, can you hear me? We saw a missile land very close to our vehicle. Many thousands have already died, and the battle continues to rage. Safety is just a word here, and rubble is a place. 
We don't know where they come from, who made them, or how they operate. We are tracking over 650 cases. This hearing is unprecedented. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered. If I'm successful, we should be able to normalize everything that we're doing and make that part of their mission and their role. Good morning, everyone. As you can see, there is a lot of news, UFOs included. We are not alone. That's for sure. Something, (laughs) whether it's a drone or not, is with us. Um, But really severe, deadly weather across much of the middle of the country right now. More than 50 million Americans are under threat of severe weather after a tornado outbreak killed at least two people in Oklahoma. This is the small, hard-hit town of Cole. It's about 30 miles south of Oklahoma City. Homes and buildings ripped apart and flattened. A local meteorologist was right nearby as the deadly tornado tore through that community. I just want to give you a perspective of what it looks like here in the truck right now. I mean, Storm Command is rocking like I've never felt it before. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is incredible. Kyle, go ahead and back up a little bit more. We're fine where we're at. The tornado is getting stronger right back over here to the left. It's moving extremely slowly. You can see just how enormous that tornado is. It was just one of several that struck the region, and now the powerful storm is on the move. The severe weather threat extending all the way from South Texas to Wisconsin. Look at that. Almost all the way up the country. Also across the Midwest and Tennessee, Derek Van Dam is tracking all of it for us. Morning, Derek. Yeah, Poppy, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near where that storm chaser or meteorologist was. That's too close for comfort for me. These storms were acting very erratic. At one time, there was actually two supercell thunderstorms that were feeding off of each other. One became the dominant storm and dropped yet another tornado. A very terrifying overnight period for residents of Oklahoma. Take a listen. A large tornado barreling through central Oklahoma Wednesday. The tornado is just to our south right here. Damon is pulling in tremendous inflow into it, continuing to produce damage. We have large hailstones being pulled into the tornado as well. The tornado hit Cole, Oklahoma, killing at least two people, a local official told CNN. It's a very, very intense, very slow-moving tornado. The tornado left downed trees and power lines, creating challenges for first responders to find those trapped. There were over 150 storm reports Wednesday and 15 tornadoes. Eight tornadoes hit Oklahoma, four in Iowa, and three in Kansas. Hail damaged this local station's helicopter mid-air. We are beat the hell up. I have no windshield. The helicopter's beat up. We are trying to make it to Paul's Valley and land. Multiple hailstorms hit parts of Oklahoma, causing severe damage. Workers at this Oklahoma Papa John's hid in the walk-in freezer that was surrounded by three feet of concrete. It was raining pretty hard, and then we heard hail, and I walked outside, and a piece of hail hit me in the face. So then I went back inside, and then we went back into the walk-in freezer. The general manager of that Papa John's says her car was thrown across the parking lot. My front door flew open, and um, it was, like, flapping in the wind. So I ran out there and pulled the door shut and locked it so that, it, I guess, to protect us a little more. And then we went all back in the walk-in. And then when it finally calmed all the way down, we came outside, and, yeah, my 
car is literally not where I left it. And this assisted living facility had to evacuate 33 of its tenants after the building was destroyed. And the front of this assisted living facility is just completely blown away. There's holes in it. There's no glass. Everything seems to be gone. Luckily, no injuries were reported. The windows are blown out and uh, there's water in the building. The girls had started getting people in their bathrooms and uh, for those that could and then pulling people away from the windows. So they're the heroes tonight. Can you imagine trying to find your car and it's not where you put it the night before? Just incredible. This is a helicopter view of one of the tornadoes. And let me show you why this is so dangerous. It's actually wrapped within this rain shaft, making it invisible to the viewer on the ground. But one thing's for sure, we know that a massive, what we call a wedge tornado, is hidden behind that shaft of rain. And uh, a sh uh, actual wedge tornado is wider than it is tall. So you can imagine the damage path that it creates. We know these storms have been tornadic. They are not currently tornadic, but certainly strong gusty winds moving across Kansas City. Here's our severe threat from Houston all the way to Chicago. Can't rule out a tornado today. Wow. Don. So many people have to be concerned. Yeah. Derek, thanks. An IRS agent is seeking whistleblower protections in order to share allegations of mishandling and political interference in the ongoing Hunter Biden criminal probe. Federal prosecutors have been investigating President Biden's son since at least 2018. So joining us now, CNN political correspondent Sarah, Sarah Murray. I should have said uh, the allegations of mishandling, right? Allegations of mishandling. Sarah, good morning to you. Yeah, what do we know about this type of information the IRS agent might have? Well, look, we know that this IRS agent, through his lawyer, is going to Congress, to Republicans and Democrats, saying, I want to provide you information. But so far, they're being pretty vague about what they have to share. You know, the letter from this lawyer says that his client, the IRS agent, is involved in an ongoing and sensitive in investigation involving a high-profile, controversial individual. We know that to be Hunter Biden, from a source familiar with the matter. And again, the allegations are sort of vague. It, it alleges preferential treatment and politics coming into play in terms of whether to prosecute this case. It talks about failing to mitigate clear conflicts of interest. You know, we know there has been an ongoing criminal investigation into Hunter Biden for tax crimes, for making a false statement. He has not been charged. And there have been disagreements between IRS agents and the FBI about the strength of the evidence in this investigation. So now it's clear that there's an IRS agent who is apparently involved in the case who wants to go to Congress and share what he believes are allegations of mishandling and politics at play here. So how likely is it this request to be granted, Sarah? Well, it's very clear that Republicans want to get this guy in here and want the information done. I mean, I know that we know they're very eager to investigate the Biden family. We know Jim Jordan, the judiciary chair, is very eager to investigate what he believes is the weaponization of the government. So I think from the GOP side, they are going to try to work to make this happen. And we should note that we, of course, reached out to the IRS. We reached out to Hunter Biden's legal team. We reached out to the U.S. attorney in Delaware for comment. All of them declined to comment. Sarah Murray, thank you. Thanks. New this morning, there's a manhunt underway for a suspect in North Carolina. This is a story we were talking about earlier. This person is accused of shooting a six-year-old girl and her father after a basketball rolled into his yard in Gaston County on Tuesday night. We don't even know the man. Why did she shoot my daddy and me? Why did she shoot a kid's dad? It leaves you speechless. Her face was hit by bullet fragments while her father is still in the hospital. We don't have any update on his condition yet, but police say that 24-year-old Robert Lewis Singletary 
also injured another neighbor and fled after the incident. They warned he could be armed and is certainly considered dangerous. We'll be damn sure to be loud and clear uh, when this case comes to court. And the people of Gaston County will, will see and hear our commitment to that prosecution. I believe he would have got me and my husband, too. Really? He just went out of bullets. Well, neighbors say that Singletary was new to the neighborhood, also often threatened children. We will absolutely keep you updated on that story. This morning, police in Texas have arrested a man accused of shooting two cheerleaders in a parking lot when one of them mistakenly got into the wrong car. Pedro Rodriguez Jr. is charged with deadly conduct. One of those athletes is 18-year-old Peyton Washington. She remains in the hospital this morning in critical condition. Rosa Flores joins us again with an update on how she is doing. Do we have an update? Pompey, good morning. Well, Peyton is still in the ICU. And as you might imagine, this is not just a physical challenge because she was shot twice, once in the back, once in the leg, and the wound impacted her organs. It's also an emotional challenge for her because she's a competitive athlete. And this happened just days before the cheerleading uh, championships, the world championships. Now, we received a statement overnight from Lynn Shearer. She is the owner of the gym where Peyton um, uh, trains. And here's what she said. Quote, she was able to watch her team via FaceTime last night as they had their final practice and show off before leaving to compete this weekend. It was very hard for her to watch and not be there. Now, Shearer adds that Peyton is expected to make a full recovery. As for the latest on this investigation, we've obtained the search warrant affidavit that has extra details. Now, according to this document, the detectives were able to find the uh, suspect because of the surveillance video from that grocery store. They ran the license plates, went to the registered address, and they first uh, uh, talked to the suspect's brother. Then, the suspect walked out of the home wearing the same black hoodie that they had seen in the surveillance video, and that's when he was taken into custody. Police identify the suspect as 25-year-old Pedro Tello Rodriguez. And, Pompey, I should add that in that search warrant, once it was executed, they were able to recover a gun, ammunition, and also um, uh, other items from inside that vehicle. Poppy. Keep us posted on Peyton's condition. We're all thinking about her. Rosa, thank you for the reporting from Austin. Now to Andrew Lester, the white homeowner who is accused of shooting a black 16-year-old, Ralph Yarl. He pled not guilty yesterday to two felonies. Lester told police that he was scared to death of Yarl due to his size. Now, Lester is 84 years old, was released on bond. He is due back in court June 1st. Prosecuting attorney said there was a racial component to this case. Miraculously, y'all is back at home, recovering from his injuries after three days in the hospital. This is a picture of him taken yesterday with his lawyer, Lee Merritt. So joining us now is Clint Ludwig. He is the grandson of Andrew Lester. And we always like to get a perspective on the thinking of someone, someone who knows him, why they might do this. So, Clint, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Don. Good morning. Good morning to you. So what is your reaction? What was your reaction when you heard that your grandfather shot Ralph Yarl for ringing his doorbell? Uh, I was disgusted. I thought it was terrible. Uh, we, my, myself and my family stand with Ralph Yarl and seeking justice. It's a, this is a horrible tragedy. It never should have happened. Folks are going to want to know why are you speaking out and apparently against your grandfather? Uh, it's the right thing to do. Um, this country happens over and over again where people get away with killing unarmed, innocent black people. And 
it's a, I would have had the same energy for any other case. Like, like I've had over and over again in this country, like I said, but so it's the right thing to do. Uh, people need to speak out and not make any excuses for this kind of behavior and this uh, violence. So you said for killing innocent black people, the prosecutor in this case has suggested that there was a racial component to it. Do you believe your grandfather is racist? Uh, I believe he holds, holds racist tendencies and beliefs. Why do you say that? Uh, he's just a stock American Christian male. It's uh, older, you know, that's just how they are. It's uh, the conspiracies and weird random racist things and they say and it doesn't make sense but they're just scared now listen you're generalizing uh, a lot here about you said older christian white males but what do you mean by that what do you mean they're scared talk to me more please uh yeah just uh i feel like a lot of people of that generation are caught up in this uh 24-hour news cycle of fear and paranoia perpetuated by some other news stations and he was fully into that sit and watch uh, fox news all day every day blaring in his living room and i think that stuff really kind of reinforces this negative view of, of minority groups and leads people to be a little it doesn't necessarily lead people to be racist but it reinforces and galvanizes racist people and their beliefs now apparently uh, correct me if i'm wrong clint you said that your grandfather would say or do things uh, apparently that you did not subscribe th to um, that caused you to distance yourself from him. Say and do things like what? That's right. Uh, a lot of it was the uh, kind of QAnon level conspiracies about election denying. And then uh, they got really weird with some, some Fauci dogs. I really didn't know what that meant. Uh, but I would push back on some of this stuff and he couldn't handle being pushed back on. And at a certain point, we kind of lost touch. And uh, I think it was more of his choice than mine. Did he say or do things that you found offensive about minorities or people of color? Uh, yes, he would say some things. Um, I think he, I can't remember exactly now all that happened, but I know he had something about, uh, had a really hot take about abortion and how something about black women getting abortions. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but I said, I don't really want to talk to you about this anymore. This is racist and it's dumb. So let's move on. And I, I pushed back and he didn't like that either at the time. So listen, uh, the Kansas City Star also spoke to your brother. Your brother's name is Daniel Ludwig. And he said, it seems like a bunch of mistakes in a row that resulted in a tragedy. I mean, a lot of mistakes all the way around. Unfortunately, if you look at the affidavit, there were actions taken that caused my grandpa's side uh, isn't being reported. Uh, and he is saying that your grandfather is not racist. He doesn't believe that. He can say that. I think he's running defense a little bit. I don't think he uh, sees him for you know, who he is. Did your, did your grandfather have a gun or, or more weapons in the house? Uh, they were all over, yes. What do you mean, they? The guns were all over. They were, he had them stashed in some spots and had a big locker full of them and but yeah, he was uh, ready to defend his home, as he would say. 
Considering the the recent history, I mean, is this a recent history that you found your grandfather? Is that why you pulled away from him? Has he always been this way or is this something new? Um, I feel like he's been pretty conservative for a long time, which is fine. And but and feel like feel like in the last five or six years it's really ramped up. Uh, he was a huge Trump supporter and between that and then the, the galvanizing that people have been feeling lately with uh, politicians and ideologues co-signing, you know, violence and domestic violence, uh, domestic terrorism, and even pardoning people who murder other people for differing political beliefs. Uh, I feel like all that stuff has really ramped up his, um, his beliefs and radicalized him, radicalized him a little bit. I'm just wondering, cause, because we've been covering these and there are usually, not always, there are warning signs. You feel like the warning signs were there. That's why I asked you if this is something that happened recently. Uh, I, yeah, I believe so. The warning signs were there. I wasn't shocked when I heard the news. I believed it. What did, and he, he did live alone? Uh, yeah, uh, up until recently, his wife lived there. But yes, he was living alone at the time. Until recently, his wife lived there. She didn't live there. She wasn't there at the time, no. She wasn't there, okay. What message do you have for Ralph Yarl and his family, Clint? Uh, yeah, I'm proud of you, Ralph. Um, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I am. Um, I understand you're an amazing kid and I think you're going to grow up to be an amazing man. And uh, you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, the outpouring of support that the country has shown to you, I, I think is says more than I ever could say. And I'm really thankful for Sean King for, for making this a national news story and getting them and the people getting out on the streets and demanding attention. And Ralph, you, just, you don't deserve to have your life fundamentally changed like you had it. And you deserve justice, and my family stands with you. Um, have you reached out to the Yarls? No, um, no. I don't really know how. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. So, well, I think that we'll make sure that they see this. Um, I, I just want to know what do you? What message do you have for your grandfather? I really don't know what to say to him. I'm, uh, I'm really sad that this happened. He. Uh, didn't need to do this. This didn't have to happen. Um, he didn't need to be scared of a young, a young kid coming to his door at night. It's, it's absurd. He needs to get his paranoia. And this isn't just for him, too. A lot of people in the, in the world, the paranoia and atomizing the society, it's, it's going to lead to some really bad stuff. And uh, we're not doing anything to fix it. We're just getting galvanized and staying at home alone. Clint Ludwig, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, coming up on CNN this morning, this. Wow. Oh, sh- Close call with a Russian missile. A CNN team in Ukraine. Nick Payton Walsh joins us live with actual video of what happened. More CNN this morning to come after the break. Well, this morning, Ukrainians living near the front lines of the war, taking shelter underground as they listen to the sounds of relentless bombing day and night. Our very own CNN team got firsthand experience of what the people there must live with every single day when a Russian missile nearly hit them. CNN's Nick Payton Walsh live for us in central Ukraine with more this morning. Nick, hello. I'm glad you're safe, but I have to ask you, what was that moment like? 
Yeah, I mean, the tent town of Orekhiv, Don, is sort of in the crosshairs of Russia as it tries to stop a Ukrainian counter-offensive, potentially cutting Crimea off from the rest of Ukraine occupied by Russia. Orokhiv hit by strategic aviation missiles. And we saw ourselves just what that's like for locals when a missile came very close to our armored vehicles. Close to Ukraine's imminent counter-offensive in the southeast, where Russia has long been brutalizing, pain is commonplace and the damage often everywhere and indiscriminate. The quiet is a blessing that rarely lasts. We're warned of a missile strike incoming and leave. Holy sh we can feel the pressure wave Nat, of the blast Nat, just behind me? our armoured car. Nat, can you hear me? Natalie Gajon, our producer, is in our second vehicle just past the smoke Nat, with driver Igor Maglic and isn't answering. Nat, can you hear me? The missile landed right between our cars. Nat, can you hear me? Nat, can you hear me? For 10 seconds, we have no idea if they are alive. Hey, cool. She just said something. Nat, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. That's them. Are you guys okay? Yes, We're fine, just leave. Us. Drive out the way we left. We leave together. For so many, that choice of leaving is something imaginary that happens above ground. The only power and water in town are down here. Well, life underground here has been hard for quite some time, but it will get harder when the counter-offensive begins pushing, certainly in this direction. If there is space for laughter, it's from this. A screechy slapstick Soviet-era comedy about a drunken goofball briefly bending the thick-set grimaces here. Guardian angels seem here to flit by in a town where 50 died in the war and 200 were injured. Safety is just a word here, and rubble is a place. Now, we've seen images of the damage caused by the missile that nearly hit us, a substantial crater, one that you see similarly across town near a school for sports that was hit by a strategic airstrike, also to a factory, uh, all of them, it seems, with very little military utility, according to locals, but part of the relentless bombardment Moscow is putting in place, as they seem to somehow think that might slow down any Ukrainian advance. We're seeing signs of that in the villages around, or a heave, momentum potentially building. No obvious sign the counteroffensive is underway, but it feels very close, and the uptick in Russian bombardment perhaps a reflection of that, Don. All right. Nick Payton Walsh in central Ukraine for us this morning. Thank you, Nick. Please be safe. Yeah, remarkable to see. Meantime, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy laying out his plan to try to get some concessions to raise the debt ceiling. But is it something the Biden administration could get on board with at all? We're going to be joined next by the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. Next. 
They say they're going to default unless I agree to all these wacko notions they have. President Biden has a choice. Come to the table and stop playing partisan political games. Or cover his ears, refuse to negotiate, and risk bumbling his way into the first default in our nation's history. That was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy putting his cards on the table in this high-stakes standoff with the White House over raising the debt limit. McCarthy's proposal would raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion. That would delay the next debt ceiling deadline until March 2024. It would also cut funding for federal agencies down to 2022 levels. It would block the administration's student debt cancellation program. It would create new work requirements for those on public assistance, and a lot more. The clock is ticking. Experts predict the U.S. could default as early as June. Let's talk about this and much more with the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. Karine, good morning and thank you. Good morning, Poppy. After McCarthy released this plan, the president called them, quote, wacko notions. Are any of them palatable to the White House? So here's the thing, Poppy, and let's we got to be very serious about this for the American people to understand what Speaker McCarthy did yesterday. He sided with the MAGA wing of his conference, the extreme Republican, the extreme Republican wing of the conference to put forth a legislation, a blueprint that will devastate. Let's be very clear, devastate hardworking American families. And not only that, they're doing that. The, the MAGA House is doing that while also putting at risk putting hostage our American economy so that they can take a hatchet, right? A hatchet to the programs that matter to everyday Americans so that they can they can make sure that they make ends meet. And so if every Republican were to vote on this legislation, on this blueprint, it would cut veterans' uh, medical services. It would cut Meals on Wheels. It would cut law enforcement funding that is out there. It would cut education. That's what they're putting forth, and that's what the blueprint that they are presenting, their values that they are presenting to the American people. So should we take that to mean, no, none of this is palatable to the White House? So here's what we're, we have been very clear on this, Poppy. We have not, uh, we have not minced words, as you know, as you heard from the president, he just now, you just quoted him, as you've heard from me, as you've heard from others from this administration, we have been calling for the Speaker McCarthy to put a bill on the floor that is going to avoid default. That's what we are asking for. We will have a conversation on his, on the budget, on the 22% cuts that he wants to put on, on veterans, on education, on cancer research. We'll have a separate conversation on that. But they need to okay. not, Speaker McCarthy must not waste time. He's not. He must not uh, do chicken, play chicken, okay. if you will, uh, with the full faith and credit of our nation. Just to be clear, this bill would do that. It would avoid a default. But as I understand it, none of this is something that the White House will agree to. Uh, the, the position of not negotiating right now that has been the president's consistent position and, and pushing and agreeing only to a clear, clean debt ceiling bill, will that remain his stance even if we do get days away from a default? So, Bobby, I just want to make it, again, very, very clear here. This is something that Speaker McCarthy and other Republicans joined Democrats three times in the last administration That's right. that before us, right? Three times yeah. without conditions, 
without any type of negotiations to deal with the debt ceiling so that we did not default as a nation. This is not uncommon. And the president said this two days ago, where Speaker McCarthy is threatening. He will be the first speaker to threaten default in over 200 years, right? This is not something that we should be doing. And so they have a constitutional duty. Mm. This is a constitutional duty that they have to do. This is their jobs. And that's what we're asking them to do, is make sure that they do not default. This well, is the full faith and credit of our well, nation that all, we're talking about. It's all of us defaulting. It, it harms all of us. But just to be clear, then, exactly. I, I, I understand. I'm very, and we've been clear about that, right? But it is also, it is also re Republicans to come okay. together with Democrats okay. to get this done. We've been very clear. They've done it three times in the last yes. administration. Three times. That's a fact. Just, so I'm going to take that to mean the positions, the president's position remains the same on not we, negotiating. I, at, I, at, I, I, yeah, okay, go ahead. Here, here is what, um, I'm sorry to step on you, a little bit of a delay. Nope. Um, go ahead, uh, this is what Jamie Dimon, who obviously has been in a lot of conversations with the administration lately, especially about the bank failures. This is what Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, told me about negotiating over the debt ceiling just a few weeks ago. Should the Biden White House negotiate? I think one of the great lessons of the last 20 years is that if you can't pass things with bipartisan support, you shouldn't pass it. I mean, it, it, we, yes, everyone should negotiate to do the right thing for the country. And I don't, I don't want to get involved in the debate about the Republicans who want to reduce the deficit. I kind of agree with that. The Democrats who would like now to get rid of the debt ceiling crisis. So, do you think yeah, he's right? Here, here's, here's what I'll say, and we've been very clear about this. We are happy to talk about the budget. We saw what the MAGA Republicans and Speaker McCarthy believe in. We saw their value. They want to do 22% cuts on veterans, right? 22% cuts on Meals on Wheels. If you think about education, law enforcement, that's what they put forward. And you know what? We'll take a look at that and we will have a conversation on the budget. But when, again, I'm going to be repetitive here because we've been very clear. We have not minced words. When it comes to uh, our the full full faith and credit of our nation, to avoid default, mm -hmm. that is something that should be done without conditions. That is something that should not be negotiated on. That is something that has happened more than 60 times before in the past. That is something that McCarthy and other Republicans joined Democrats and did three times, three times okay. under the last administration. That's what should be done this time around. I think we all pray, you know, we're two months away possibly from a potential default. Uh, that this can get sorted out. Let me ask you about abortion, because there's a new deadline, as you know, tomorrow night the Supreme Court is going to decide on whether or not it's going to continue uh, to allow Mifepristone, the abortion pill, to be broadly accessible to women across the country or not, or agree to limit that access. If the Supreme Court affirms the lower court's decision on limiting access, will the White House change its position, which has been the FDA should not ignore the courts? So a couple of things here. Um, we are prepared for whatever decision that the Supreme Court makes. Uh, we are prepared for a long legal fight if that is indeed necessary. Here's what we will continue to do. We will continue to support uh, the FDA evidence-based authority that they have on mifeprestone. And let's not forget a wider range of prescription drugs. Let's not also forget that FDA is independent. There are experts and scientists it is, it, is, it is their duty and their approval that uh, matters here. And so 
this is so much is at stake at this moment. And what the, this administration has promised women, millions of women across the country, Americans across the country, is that we will do everything that we can to fight for women's reproductive rights. That is the promise uh, that we will make. Now, I understand. I understand people are frustrated. But to uh, to what we're seeing, what they're trying to do is set aside FDA, uh, FDA approval, F FDA evidence, uh, evidence approval and, and, and science based. If we were to if we were to listen to them and, and that that would be set aside and also set aside a court decision, that is also unprecedented. Right. So what they're trying to do is unprecedented. But if we were to set aside uh, a court decision, that would be un unprecedented so as well. Don't ignore the. Courts. So, OK. So we can't do that. But okay. what we can promise is that we are going to fight. We are going to fight for women's reproductive but, rights, which is what you've seen from this from this White House these past several months. And let me just end on this, because I'd like to see if there is a White House response to it. An IRS supervisory special agent, our reporting is, is now claiming to have information about alleged mishandling and political interference in, on, in the ongoing criminal probe of Hunter Biden. Uh, is seeking That person is seeking whistleblower protection to share information with Congress According to this letter obtained by CNN, our Sarah Murray just gave our viewers that reporting. And I just wonder if the White House has a comment. Well, right now, as you know, we've been very clear to not comment on anything uh, related uh, to any type of investigation. So that is something uh, that we have been very, very diligent about and referring, any, uh, referring that to Department of Justice. Well, Karine Jean-Pierre, thank you for your time. It's nice to have you on CNN this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Poppy. Thank you. Don. And House Republicans just scored a win in their legal battle against a district attorney who is prosecuting Donald Trump. A Trump-appointed federal judge ruled that one of Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg's former prosecutors must testify to the House Judiciary Committee today. Bragg sued and tried to block the subpoena but lost after the committee chairman, Jim Jordan, argued the court has no authority to block it. CNN's Kara Scannell joins me now. Good morning to you. The reason behind this ruling? Yeah, well, the judge, you know, this was a spirited oral argument yesterday, and she ran it like a tight ship, but she really hammered Bragg's team on a lot of these questions. So in her order, she denied their request to block the subpoena. You know, she said there were a lot of politics at play here, politics on both sides. And in her order, she actually leans into this on Bragg. She says, the court is further unmoved by Bragg's purported concern at the prospect of injecting partisan passions into a forum where they do not belong. By bringing this action, Bragg is engaging in precisely the type of political theater he claims to fear. The judge says she's putting all of that aside. The issue before her is the subpoena and whether Congress has a valid legislative purpose. The House argued they had several legislative purposes here. She even got one of Bragg's attorneys to concede during the hearing that they had a, that the House had a legislative purpose because they oversee federal funds, funds that Bragg's office acknowledged they had used as part of this investigation. $5,000. $5,000. They're saying, you know, this was part of the investigation that went into the Trump organization and the trial last fall. But the judge, you know, finding here that it, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? There is a legislative purpose. And the judge saying it is not her job to dictate how Congress conducts its investigations, but she found that this was valid. She also was very critical of Mark Pomerantz, the attorney whose testimony is expected, uh, because, you know, she held up a book he wrote multiple times saying, you know, he already put a lot of this out there. So why isn't it fair for Congress to ask these questions? And we just got some breaking news. The appeals court has granted Pomerantz and the DA's office request for a stay. So he will not be appearing today. today. Mm. They set a very fast schedule here. They want briefs from both sides due huh. by Saturday. And they directed the clerk of the court to set the, the um, set oral arguments for the first available date. So we are going to get a decision in this pretty quickly. But we do have a pause for now. Pomerantz won't be before Congress today. So this is just briefs by Saturday, but we don't know until 
they got to figure by it Saturday, out. then they're going to set a date for oral argument, have them come in and make this pitch. Well, what's right. so interesting is that this has to do with an ongoing investigation. You yeah. know, you've, well, you've got the charges now, but an ongoing case against the former president. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. wow. Thank you, Kara. Appreciate it. Lower prices, lower profits. What's the deal with Tesla's bottom line? We're now hearing from Elon Musk. Electric vehicles may be the future of driving, but that does not mean there won't be more bumps along the way. Tesla earnings are down 22% from a year ago. They have cut their prices on their vehicles six times this year. This comes as Tesla is facing growing competition from EVs on, from much more established automakers like GM and others. Our chief business correspondent, Christine Romans, is here. We're trying to figure out what, Good what's morning. going on. Good morning. What's going on? Well, Tesla shares are down in the pre-market, so shareholders of Tesla are seeing that there's a strategy here from Elon Musk that um, they're watching closely. And his strategy is to try to sell more cars but make less money per car. So he's, he's crunching his margins because he wants to get a big fleet out there of electric vehicles. He wants to be the leader in EV. Flood the market. Everyone sees him and also Make as many as leader. you can. Make as many as you can. Take as many orders as you can and, and be the leader there. But you're going to make a little bit less on each car. So that's what shareholders don't like. Mm -hmm. But for consumers, it means these prices have been going down. Last year, in the first quarter, the average price of one of these cars was about $52,000. After all these price cuts he's put in, this quarter it's about $46,000. He's cut the Model 3, the Model Y, the Model S. He just did the sixth round of price cuts. So for consumers, you're seeing these lower prices come in here. And you also have these tax credits. The Treasury Department has you know, has clarified all these rules. And so there's $7,500 in tax credit for about 18 different car models, four different car brands, Tesla, Ford, GM, and Volkswagen that are available right now, depending on how much money you make. Mm -hmm. But these are a bunch of cars that have all the right domestic sourcing requirements to get $7,500 in money back on those cars. So with the price cuts and the tax credits, there's a hope that these are going to be more affordable and people will start to take them up more. There's still challenges with, with the EV market, right? Of course. I mean, you have charge, you know, people have range anxiety. Poppy and I both have. We live in the Midwest. <laughs> yes. We've talked about this a million times. I want to be able to get in the car and go to Iowa. You know, she wants right. to be able to go to Minnesota. Um, you know, that's part of it. People could, are concerned about the cost of the car. That might be coming down. We also know there's been some chaos around this, this tax credit, this confusion. I'm going to tweet out, guys, a list of all the cars currently that qualify for $7,500 back. There are Great. quite a few of them on there. I talked to Dan Ives, who's a, um, a Wedbush securities analyst this morning, about what the strategy here is from Tesla. And he said, uh, Elon can hear Mary right behind him. Barra, Meaning Elon Musk, Mary Barra. There's a big move to be the leader in EV. And so you could see more or maybe price cuts for these uh, Tesla products in think, the future. I think they have to come down a little more I think, when, so that they can become affordable to the average amount. But does that hurt in the end? Because now if you are a consumer and you think it's going to get cheaper, then do you wait a little bit? And so then, then you kind of hurt yourself yeah. by teasing more price cuts? I don't know. We'll see. But um, this is the direction, slowly with some bumps, but the direction that the U.S. car market is heading in. Good point. Nice Thanks, work, Christine. Christine. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Very much appreciate it. <laughs> this morning, actor Jonathan Majors is facing new allegations of abuse. What those alleged victims and the actor's attorneys are saying. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
So this morning, an attorney for actor Jonathan Majors is denying a new report of more abuse allegations. Variety is reporting that alleged um, victims came forward and are cooperating with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Last month, the actor was arrested and arraigned on assault and harassment charges. I want to bring in now CNN's entertainment reporter, Chloe Malas. Chloe, what is going on with this? Well, look, I reached out to the district attorney's office last night and they are not commenting. But in a statement to CNN, I want to read you what an attorney for Jonathan is telling us. The attorney is saying that Jonathan Majors is innocent and has not abused anyone. We have provided irrefutable evidence to the district attorney that the charges are false. We are confident that he will be fully exonerated. You know, this is such a shame. The entire situation Situation because he has had such a great career so far, starring in Marvel films, Creed. He has potentially a big new movie with Marvel that is set to come out in 2025. You know, his father was in the Air Force. He went to Yale. Um, you know, we've talked to him at CNN. It's very disturbing, these allegations uh, from this alleged dispute in March. But we will keep you posted on that as it develops. And it's, this is still developing, right? These alleged victims came forward, but they're not really talking, not really discussing what's happening. Correct. Yeah. All right. Chloe Malas, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Thank you. CNN This Morning continues right now. Okay, we are beat the hell up. I have no windshield. The helicopter's beat up. We are trying to make it to Paul's Valley and land. So, good morning. When you hear folks who are normally very calm, calm right? And, and they're used to being in the skies in a helicopter like that. They sound like that. You it's know terrifying. there's a problem. Thanks for joining us this morning. Caitlin is off. That was a news helicopter during the severe weather outbreak that was in Oklahoma. At least two people are dead after multiple tornadoes touched down. And now millions of Americans are in the path of a very powerful storm. Also this morning, there is a manhunt underway in North Carolina for a man who allegedly shot a little girl, six years old, and her father after a basketball rolled into his yard. Uh, and house lawmakers coming together for a tabletop war game to simulate a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. We do begin, though, in North Carolina, where a manhunt is underway right now. Police say 24-year-old Robert Lewis Singletary is considered armed and dangerous. He's accused of shooting a six-year-old girl and her father, as well as another woman, after a basketball rolled into his yard in Gaston County on Tuesday night. We don't even know the man. Why did you shoot my daddy and me? Why did you shoot a kid's dad? Right? Unbelievable to have to hear that from a six-year-old. Her face was hit by bullet fragments. Her father is still in the hospital. Diane Gallagher is following it live from Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Diane, are there any leads? They think this guy, they can't, they can't find him? Well, Poppy, right now there is that manhunt underway. Gaston County police say that the U.S. Marshals are helping them in that search. And look, as you said, according to neighbors, this all began because children were playing basketball. The ball rolled down the street into Robert Singletary's yard. They say he became angry and then ran down the street shooting. According to that little girl and her mother, they say that her father shielded her as they ran away. Four people in total 
injured in this. The girl's mother, her father, who remains in the hospital here in the Charlotte area, as well as the little girl and another person who was shot, but the police say was not injured. Now, look, they do say that 24-year-old Robert Singletary is con- to be considered armed and dangerous. They are searching for him at this time. And again, according to the neighbors, Poppy Don, this was just about a basketball in the yard, in his yard. He became angry and upset and then started shooting. Diane, thank you for that reporting. Please keep us posted as this manhunt continues. And so many shootings and so many uh, to discuss here. Wrong house, wrong driveway, wrong car. Three different shootings across the nation have left young Americans either dead or seriously wounded after they made simple, harmless mistakes. Mistakes that we've all made. We've all turned around in the driveway, were lost or had the wrong directions. Everyone has done it. 16-year-old Ralph Yarl rang the doorbell of the wrong house. That was in Kansas City. He thought that his younger brothers were there. It was a street instead of a terrace, right? The name of the street. So he is now recovering from a traumatic brain injury after the white homeowner inside that house shot him in the head. That suspect is already out on bail. This is what his grandson told me just moments ago. Happened. Do you believe your grandfather is racist? Uh, I believe he holds, holds racist tendencies. Did your grandfather have a gun or, or more weapons in the house? Uh, they were all over, yes. What do you mean, they? The guns were all over. They were, he had them stashed in some spots and had a big locker full of them. And, but yeah, he was uh, ready to defend his home, as he would say. I'm really sad that this happened. He uh, didn't need to do this. This didn't have to happen. Um, he didn't need to be scared of a young, a young kid coming to his door at night. It's, it's absurd. In Texas, two cheerleaders were shot after opening the door of the wrong car after practice. One of them had her spleen removed, but she is breathing on her own again at the hospital. And in upstate New York, a 20-year-old woman is dead after she pulled into the wrong driveway with her friends. Investigators say the suspect opened fire from his porch. He has been charged with murder. The victim's father now. For this man to sit on his porch and fire at a car with no threat is just, just angers me so badly. And I, I just hope to God that he dies in jail. And according to the Giffords Law Center, the U.S. has a higher rate of gun violence than any other high-income country. Any other high-income country. There are more guns in the U.S. than there are people. And since the beginning of this year, there have been more than 12,000 gun violence deaths. And those include homicide, intentional and unintentional shootings, and suicide by gun. We're only in April now. I'm going to bring in now CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, Mr. John Miller. John, good morning to you. We're going to talk about what's going on, get to those statistics in a moment. But let's talk about these instances of young people we have here, seemingly just by making everyday mistakes that we all make and then some of them losing their lives, others injured very, and still in the hospital. How do you make sense of the recent series of gun violence? Well, I divide it into three places. There's crime guns being used by criminals to commit crimes. This is an age-old experience. 
Police have gotten very adept in that field. Um, that crime isn't where it was, say, 15 or 20 years ago. Then there are the mass shooter guns. By and large, our experience, because how many have we reported on? Can't even count. Those guns are generally legal and come in multiples. They're assault weapons. Then there's this new phenomenon we've focused on this week because it seems to be presenting itself, which is the legal gun owner with the hair trigger in an otherwise benign situation. I got into the wrong car. I came down the wrong driveway. I knocked on the wrong door. These things do not justify shootings. So the question is, and I did not come with the answer, is how did we cross over this? Is it a question of, you know, we keep talking about rising crime, increased fear, the criminal justice system is broken, um, that, you know, people need to take care of problems themselves. And how have we re-identified what's a problem that requires deadly force? Because none of these seem to fit within the laws that allow you to use that kind of force, including the stand your ground laws. You know, it's interesting. I was just looking at this statistic that during COVID, nearly 3 million more American adults bought guns. A lot of people were Than in the guns. prior year, in 2020. This is from Northeast University in Harvard. If you look at that statistic, you yeah. know, that year, yeah. what you see is COVID, right? So people are locked down at home, but they're seeing shortages in stores, you know. Now, now they're looking at where is this crisis going? Is it the zombie apocalypse? Are people going to be, they're looking at, you know, disorder across the country, George Floyd demonstrations that turned into disorder or looting, uh, Minneapolis burning, Seattle, the taking over police station, and they have nothing to do. They're at home. It's interesting about guns and gun sales. Number one gun sale days are Christmas, Black Friday for the sales, the day after Thanksgiving, and Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day has consistently been the number three biggest gun sale day in America. It's those four days in February leading up to Valentine's Day where nothing says I love you like a new you know, assault weapon. Since you brought up COVID, I mean, we were listening to Clint Ludwig, the, the grandson uh, of the man who shot. Um, fascinating. Ralph yeah, fascinating interview because he said, according to him, recently he had been more isolated. He had been home. He had sort of gotten into conspiracy theories, QAnon, sitting watching television all day, people who are demonizing people of color and so on and so forth. I'm just wondering how much, and I asked him, what, what were the warning signs? And he says, those were the warning signs to him. Well, that is this bad combination. And these things aren't necessarily related, but number one, there's the steady diet of fear. You know, the latest mass shooting, crime is on the rise, shootings are on the rise, and you know, that is inundating. Um, then there is issues in the criminal justice system. You know, I think Congressman Jordan came up here to look at, you know, the Manhattan DA in a city where it's the safest major city and crime is at, you know, reasonable historic lows. Um, but, you know, you still have a prosecutor there where 46% of the gun arrests are dismissed with no penalty, no plea, no conviction. So there's this idea that crime is on the rise, which in some places it is, but not every place, that the criminal justice system is broken, which in some places that's a real question, and that it's left to us to defend ourselves. And there are places, the QAnon echo chambers, you know, certain other outlets where you get that steady diet of, you know, we've got to take things in our own hands, pull your money out of the bank, the banks are going away, just buy gold and keep your guns at home, and the government's going to try to take them away, so you better get more. Hmm. Do you expect that this problem will increase? This will be exacerbated given the Supreme Court's decision on guns last year, because it makes many 
laws um, challenged, uh, and, and they're losing in court. Many of the states that are trying to institute new laws are, are losing in court because they're saying the Bruin decision means you can't do that. And many states that had existing laws that kept them at the very low end of gun crime, like New York City, yes. um, have lost those laws. So I think there's a good possibility of that because what we do know statistically is more guns means more shootings, more suicides, more accidental discharges, more children finding them in the home. Uh, the numbers have always told that story. John, before you go, I just want to, um, what was the thing? We had more... In any civilized Western nation, we have the most shootings out of anyone, the most gun deaths, most violence. Well, there's a surprise. You know, the U.S. military, the most powerful force on the planet Earth, has 4.5 million guns. And just the regular folks walking around have 400 million. And we only have 380-something million people. We, a higher rate of gun violence than any other high-income country. And people talk about, you know, um, the mental health aspect well, if we have a bigger mental health issue, that's a problem too, isn't it? That's one of the factors. That is a huge problem that we need to uh, talk about. What are we doing to cause that? What, why, why are we having that? Thank you, John Miller. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. This morning, two people dead in Oklahoma after this really powerful tornado outbreak, and there are fears it could grow in terms of the death toll. At least 14 tornadoes ripped across the state, also Kansas and Iowa. Oklahoma was the hardest hit overnight, at least four confirmed tornadoes. The victims were killed in Cole, Oklahoma. That's home to more than 600 people. Damage reports include entire homes being destroyed, down power lines, and twisted store signs as about 20,000 homes and business owners lost power. Officials say hundreds of first responders were conducting search and rescue along a 10-mile path of destruction. One meteorologist there saw a twister himself. Watch this. Look at the winds flowing into the tornado. Oh, big power flash. It's hitting coal right now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is incredible. Kyle, go ahead and back up a little bit more. We're fine where we're at. The tornado is getting stronger right back over here to the left. It's moving extremely slowly. Now the severe storm threat is shifting east toward parts of Texas, Louisiana, Missouri, and much of Arkansas. Don. So the House Select Committee on China hosted a war game last night to act out a potential Chinese attack on Taiwan. The goal is to help ensure Congress knows what weapon systems must be used, where they need to be deployed, and what munitions they'll likely run out of during a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Here's what Taiwan's foreign minister recently told CNN's Jim Shudo about that possibility. Is Beijing, in your view, threatening Taiwan with war? Yes, indeed. Uh, look at the military exercises and also their rhetoric. Uh, they seem to be uh, trying to get ready uh, to launch a war against Taiwan. So joining us now to discuss retired U.S. Army Major Mike Lyons. Thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us. So what types of information might the members of Congress be looking for here in terms of how prepared Taiwan and, and China and the U.S. would be for a potential conflict, Mike? 
I think, Don, first and foremost, you look at a map and you see how would China make this attack? How would they go into Taiwan? From, and clearly, they're going to have a superiority from the air and then the sea. So those are the two assumptions that they'll make. So likely they'll look to reinforce Taiwan with air defense platforms and possibly platforms for anti-missile defense. Every single major city in Taiwan is under this umbrella of attack potentially coming from the Chinese from, from the air alone. This is before the United States is even engaged in the fight. I mean, this is serious stuff, right? We're talking about a war between China, Taiwan, and the U.S. What would that mean in terms of losses? Yeah, I think that, um, first first of all, when does the United States engage? The United States likely doesn't engage initially if the attack just comes from the air. But until there's some kind of attack that would come potentially uh, amphibiously from China itself, you're looking at the no match that that the Taiwanese military would have against uh, an invasion force from China. And so from, from a war game perspective, if the United States gets involved at that point in time, then the U.S. could potentially lose a battle carrier, could lose aircraft carriers, could lose tens of thousands of service members, hundreds of airplanes. The losses would be significant, and those are the kind of things they have to consider if they decide to attack. Well, some might be wondering, you know, given how costly a war is with the U.S., would it, is it a foregone conclusion that the U.S. would in fact go to war to defend Taiwan, what are officials saying about, what is the policy on that? The policy right now is strategic ambiguity, and it's that way on purpose. If you think uh, specifically right now, uh, we're all about the, uh, keeping the Taiwanese in a self-defense platform and a, and a capability and a posture. And that's more important, as opposed to saying we would definitely come to their defense. Like a NATO ally, we, we would have to do that. So I'm not sure. An American president would have to decide at the time if we, if we engage kinetically. Because if we decide to use submarines, for example, and attack Chinese forces as they're coming into Taiwan, then what keeps China then from attacking U.S. bases in the Pacific, what keeps China from escalating to a nuclear event uh, to destroy a U.S. city? And this reporting from the Washington Post about these um, recently leaked intelligence documents in the Chinese drone program. Yeah. What did they find? Yeah, they're showing a couple of things. First, they're showing that the Chinese have tremendous capability at very high altitudes with a drone that right now is going to be area denial. It's going to deny the United States this, this capability to have any kind of air superiority there uh, in the Pacific. That's number one. Number two, it could potentially become an armed uh, operation where that would cause, uh, again, a kinetic problem for the, the Chinese uh, soldiers on the ground. Um, but it also showed that this quarter leak showed that Taiwan lacks significant air defense capability as at all. If there's one thing Ukraine has shown other countries is you better step up your air defense platforms, Patriot missiles and the like. Any of these companies that are making those things are going to be very busy for the next 10 years because countries recognize that the first threat comes from the air. This is a good example of the Chinese making sure. Fascinating and always good information. Thank you, Mike Lyons. Thanks. Appreciate it. Major Mike Lyons. Thank you. Poppy? At least 78 people have been killed, dozens more injured after a devastating crowd surge in Yemen's capital. We want to warn you, this is disturbing video to watch. This happened during an event to mark the end of Ramadan where two merchants were reportedly handing out the equivalent of about $10 in cash to needy residents. Look at that. That is the aftermath, and it shows shoes and shawls left behind heaped into piles. Officials say the two merchants have been arrested. And just in, NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg is in Ukraine this morning. It is his first trip to the country since the Russian invasion last year, and it highlights the alliance's commitment to helping Kiev and the entire country defend itself. Speaking with the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, Stoltenberg says Ukraine's rightful place is in NATO. 
Mr. President, I'm here today with a simple message. NATO stands with Ukraine. We stood by you after Russia's illegal annexation of Crimea in 2014. We stand by you today in your heroic uh, fight against uh, the Russian invaders and in defense of your country. Russia has responded reiterating that, reiterating its warning, I should say, that Ukraine must not be allowed to join NATO. The alliance expanding towards Russia's borders is one of the various reasons Moscow has previously given for this invasion. A key abortion pill will stay available for now while the Supreme Court decides whether to take it off the market. The House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark is fighting to protect access to the medication. She's going to join us live next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. The Supreme Court setting a new deadline for tomorrow night as it considers whether to preserve or limit a widely used abortion drug. At issue is the scope of the FDA's authority to regulate a drug, mifepristone, that the medical community has deemed safe and effective. Mifepristone has been used by millions of women across the country for more than two decades. It's been on the market for 23 years. How this dispute is ultimately resolved could make it more difficult for women to obtain abortion through medication, even in the states that still allow it. Some top Democratic lawmakers are vowing to fight to protect access to it. Watch. We will use every tool at our disposal to protect the right to control your own body. And we will call out the MAGA agenda for what it is. Anti-science, anti-woman, anti-freedom. That is the number two House Democrat, Congresswoman Catherine Clark of Massachusetts, and she joins me live now. Good morning. Good morning, Poppy. We will see by tomorrow night what the Supreme Court decides to do here, but I wonder what your reaction is to at least this delay that they have instituted. You know, we're going to watch what the Supreme Court does, but let's talk about what's at stake with this opinion we anticipate coming down. First, this is part of the extreme GOP's dangerous march to a national abortion ban. Already in this country, we see 20 million women have been denied care in states that have banned abortion. Just recently, a six-week ban coming out of Florida. What does this mean? It means that women who are the victims of rape and incest are being forced into parenthood. Women are being put in their lives put in peril by being told they can't have miscarriage care until they run a fever and have sepsis set in. This is a real impact when we see government overreach into women's lives. And the other thing about this opinion is just what you mentioned, 23 years of safe and effective use. And this judge, ideologically based, has put science aside and threatened not only this drug, but every single drug that has been approved by the FDA. There is uh, an exception for rape and incest, victims of rape and incest in the, in the Florida bill that was just signed by Governor DeSantis, but in many other states recently passing similar bills, there is not. As, exactly right. As a leading member, as a member of House leadership, can you level with the American people about realistically 
what Democrats can actually do about this if the Supreme Court affirms a lower court ruling and Mifa Pristone gets pulled? What can you really do? What we can do is take back the House, keep the Senate and the White House, because this is so fundamental. We are going to energize and mobilize, and the American people are with us, because this is what they understand. When the government is coming in, politicians are making decisions for your family that should be between you, your family members, your doctor, and your faith. That is not freedom. And that is what is going to be on the ballot in 2024. And we've seen the American people respond. When we had abortion bans, they lost in places like Kansas and Montana. We recently had a Supreme Court election in the state of Wisconsin. Abortion is understood by the American people as fundamental health care and as fundamental freedom and equality. We're a year and a half away from that. And so are you basically saying to the American people, the only way, if we don't prevail in the Supreme Court, the only way for us to do something about this is to control both chambers and the White House in 2024? We're going to use every tool we have, and we're going to use every option that we have. But what are those tools? We can look at going back to the FDA. We can look at putting people on record here in Congress, bringing, forcing these votes on the floor to make sure that we are putting everyone on record on where they stand, on making women second-class citizens in this country. Um, We have tools that we can use even in the minority in the House. But let's be clear, this president understands that abortion is fundamental health care, and we are going to use every tool that they have to protect this fundamental right. When you say we can go back to the FDA, what are you saying? What, what specifically can you do? Would you want the FDA to ignore the Supreme Court's decision if it doesn't fall your way? This isn't about ignoring it, but one option is, is to have the FDA go through the process again for this drug. I don't know if that'll be an option that we choose, Mm -hmm. but it is a tool before us. And we have to look at everything we can do to make sure that we protect this right. This is, this is about who we're going to be as a country. Are we really going to roll back a right that has been here for 50 years? Mm-hmm. You have seen the American people want us to fight for them. They want their voices heard in Capitol yeah. Hill. That's exactly what we're going to do. That's an interesting approach. The FDA would have to decide if it wanted to take it, and it would take a pretty long time, the process, but it is one potential approach. I really appreciate your time uh, and your perspective on this, Congresswoman. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate it. Don. Fox News may have reached a historic $787 million settlement with Dominion Voting Systems this week, but its legal headaches are far from over. Yesterday, Reuters reported the company's own shareholders have set their sights on Rupert Murdoch and Fox's board, saying that they are poised to bring lawsuits against them for, quote, breaching their fiduciary oversight duties by failing to block the network's flawed reporting despite red flag warnings. So red flag warnings, that is something that uh, renowned Yale professor Jeffrey Sonnenfeld told CNN was likely to happen in an email last month. 
And he wrote, quote, Murdoch only controls 39 percent of the company, so any of the 61 percent of shareholders can sue for misconduct, failure of management oversight and conscious inadequate diligence. And Fox's legal troubles don't end there either. Voting technology company Smartmatic is suing Fox News in a defamation case worth $2.7 billion. That's over a billion more than what Dominion was initially seeking in damages. In a statement on Tuesday, Smartmatic's attorney saying this. Dominion's litigation exposed some of the misconduct and damage caused by Fox's disinformation campaign. Smartmatic will expose the rest. Smartmatic remains committed to clearing its name, recouping the significant damage done to the company, and holding Fox accountable for undermining democracy. According to The New York Times, Fox said this in response, We will be ready to defend this case surrounding extremely newsworthy events when it goes to trial, likely in 2025. Stay tuned. One of the Oklahoma officials allegedly heard on a secret recording making racist and threatening remarks has resigned. We'll have those details ahead. Plus, don't panic, don't overbuy how officials in South Florida are trying to tackle a gas shortage. This morning, one of the four Oklahoma officials allegedly heard on a secret recording making remarks about lynching black people and killing journalists is out of a job. Mark Jennings, a commissioner in the McCurtain County, in McCurtain County, resigned via a handwritten letter dated Wednesday. The four McCurtain County officials came under fire after parts of this recording were released by local journalists. Take a damn blackjack, whoop their ass, and throw them in the cell. I'd run the f-ing chair. Yeah. Well, it's not like that no more. I know. Take them down to a mud creek and hang them up with a damn rope. Yeah. But you can't and do the that. Thing about it, they got more rights than we got. Well, joining us now from McCurtain County, CNN National Correspondent Gary Tuckman. Gary, I mean, it's flabbergasting. Good morning to you. There are still three others on that recording who haven't resigned. Will they follow suit, you think? Well, Don, the governor of the state, Kevin Stitt, says he wants all four to resign. Two of the others are the sheriff, Kevin Clardy, and the sheriff investigator, Alicia Manning. We went to the sheriff's department yesterday. We talked to a sergeant. He told us they were not in the building, but they're still working. The fourth person is the jail administrator, Larry Hendricks. The jail is behind me. We walked to the jail, and we met him at the door. I'm Gary Tuckman with CNN. Nice to meet you, Gary. We, we, we were hoping we can give you a chance to have your say about these audio tapes. Gary, I, w- I would love to, uh, but right now I've been advised to, to give no comments. As soon as I'm told I can make something available, if you leave me your number, I'd be glad to give I'm you I'm happy to leave you the number, but would you admit that that was your voice on these tapes? I've been told to make no comments. Do you feel bad about what happened? Do you feel bad about the things that were said? Sir, I've been instructed to make no comments. I appreciate you guys stopping by. You're very polite. I'm just wondering if you can just personally say how you feel, though, about it. I've I've been instructed to make no comments. Because this could be a good time to say, I'm I'm sorry I made comments like that. That's not me. That's not who I am. I, I understand where you're going. I've been instructed to make no comments. Hendricks has not resigned yet. The journalists they're talking about are the father and the son who are the publisher and the reporter of this newspaper, the McCurtain Gazette News. It served McCurtain County for 
118 years, 30,000 people live in this county. And this was this weekend's paper that broke the story, the headline. County, let me just, it's a little windy here, but you'll see it on the top. County officials discuss killing, burying Gazette reporters. It's quite chilling, Dom. Yeah, the paper serving the community, but not the officials. Thank you, Gary Tuckman. I appreciate it. In Seattle, a synagogue vandalized with anti-Israel graffiti on Sunday, just days before Holocaust Remembrance Day. Temple de Hirsch Sinai's rabbi believes the timing was not a coincidence. Seattle Police Department released footage of the suspects spraying the anti-Semitic images on the synagogue's walls and are now asking for the public's help trying to identify them. Seattle's mayor tweeted, we will not tolerate anti-Semitism in Seattle. We must all speak out against this disgusting vandalism. This morning, the NYPD searching for the person who hit an officer with their car. Oh my goodness. Well, it happened during a traffic stop in Manhattan on Wednesday. Police tried to stop the car at a different location, but it got away. The video occurred when cops tried to stop the car for the second time. Black Cadillac took off down the street after hitting the officer. A suspect ended up colliding with a car in another part of Manhattan. They ditched a car, took off on foot. The officer was taken to a nearby hospital. Non-life-threatening injuries. Out of South Florida, where a major gas shortage has left some stations in cities like Miami and Fort Lauderdale without gas. Last week's historic rainfall and flooding caused a wave of panic, a panic buying leading to widespread station closures. closures. Our correspondent Leila Santiago is live in front of a gas station in Miami. So we remember you last week in the middle of this flooding. And I didn't think, but of course, it would lead That's to right. something like this. Right, long, long impacts. Let me actually show you exactly what I'm talking about. Look at the board right here at this gas station. A lot of zeros there. This is one of the gas stations still waiting to get gas. Gas Buddy this morning as of 7.30 reporting 58% of gas stations here in Miami and Fort Lauderdale without gas. Look behind me. You can see those pumps are covered. So we are still seeing very much the impacts of that historic flooding last week. And I got to tell you, yesterday we saw much longer lines. So this is a bit of progress, Poppy, but still a lot of people waiting, a lot of stations anyway, waiting for that gas. So what is happening now? Well, the state sent half a million gallons of fuel down to the southeast, actually providing law enforcement escort for some of those tankers. And we have seen tankers filling up the, this, this morning. But when I talk to drivers, there's a lot of fear and frustration, that panic you were talking about. So officials here urging everyone not to come in with those gas cans, not to take more gas than you need right now, because this is very much a supply and demand issue with too many people out of fear coming and, and using up the supply that they have right now. But they believe in a matter of days, this will all regulate itself and, and normalize. Glad it's just going to be a few days. Also glad to see it's dry behind you. This time, Layla, after all that yes. rain. <laughs> Finally. Thank you. Yes. So we have been following the three different shootings across the nation that have left young Americans either dead or seriously wounded after they made very simple mistakes. And moments ago, the former First Lady, Michelle Obama, addressed these cases, saying enough is enough and that she hopes and prays the nation finds a way to reconcile gun violence in this country. We are the only developed country on the planet where its citizens can have unfettered access to firearms. Mm -hmm. um, 
that is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and more of us have to feel strongly about it, and particularly our young people. Um, this is where democracy comes in. Uh, voting, this, all this stuff is decided in the, in the ballot box. She making more explicitly the point that I was trying to make um, earlier with John Miller about, you know, it's just the us. access to guns. It's just us. And, you know, everyone, people don't want to talk about the access to guns, but we have to talk about that because there would not be as many shootings. It's common sense if people didn't have access to guns. Yes, there's a mental health issue. There are other there are myriad of issues that need to be addressed, but we have to address the access to guns. And her call there, it's For young, young people. people who have been, you know, these victims, especially in these three shootings we've been talking about, also young people who can enact change mm -hmm. is what she's calling on. Vote. Vote. Also, to the moon, SpaceX once again going to try to launch its most powerful rocket yet. We're live in Texas try, with a preview. Maybe we can Who is this? Dress yourself up and try again. That was Aaliyah. She said it best. If at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. That's exactly what SpaceX is doing. This morning, the company is set to try and launch its Starship rocket again after its first attempt on Monday was called off due to a pressurization issue or pressurization issues. Starship is the most powerful rocket ever built and key to NASA's plans for returning of returning humans to the moon. Ed Lavender gets the best assignments, by the way, live in South Padre Island for us uh, this morning. Good morning to you. So what are the chances of liftoff today, Ed? Well, the weather doesn't look as great as it did on Monday morning. SpaceX official told us a little while ago that there's a 70% chance that the weather holds up, so they'll continue to monitor that. But the window for this launch is about uh, 8.30 a.m., roughly to about 9.30 a.m. Central Time, so 9.30 to 10.30 Eastern Time. Um, and now we're starting to see, finally, this morning, uh, Starship rocking starting to emerge through much of the cloud cover that we've had here throughout the day. So SpaceX officials also say that they've already started fueling up, putting in the propellant uh, inside the rocket, which is about 10 million pounds of liquid methane and, methane and oxygen. Uh, Elon Musk tweeted several hours ago that uh, uh, the, the launch is green. Uh, so either that is a sign that everything's going well or it's a cheeky reference that today is 420 or it could be both as these things tend to go with, with Elon Musk. So uh, the crowds, Don, have not been deterred by the three-day delay in this launch of, of this rocket. So they are back in full force here on the southern tip of uh, South Padre Island. We are about five miles away from the star, uh, star base uh, location where the rocket will be launched. So uh, everyone here on the beach will have a spectacular view if this launch does go off in less than an hour or so. And well, Eddie, I don't know about that. Isn't the launch, is it right over your right shoulder? It's pretty hazy out there. Not the perfect conditions, not great conditions to be able to watch a rocket take off. Oh. Yeah, it's like literally in just in the last few minutes, Don, we're starting to see the, you know, the cloud cover, the cloud cover started to lift. We're hoping that this kind of like morning haze kind of blows off. The sun's come up a little bit higher, so that started to help. Uh, but we're finally seeing some of the sunlight kind of glistening off that rocket ship here this morning. So this is the best view we've had. But throughout much of the morning, we really haven't had a, a clear view of it. Not like we did on Monday morning, which was a spectacular morning. So we'll see if this weather holds up. Uh, for the next hour or so. A lot of praying to the weather gods going on. Good luck with that. Thank you, Ed Lavendera.
you heard Ed refer to 420 there. Take a look at your calendar. On this 420, we're going to look into recreational marijuana in America. Harry Anton has this morning's number. But then I got high. Harry's always high. That song? You should have heard the serenade we got in the break from one Mr. Don Lemon. The marijuana legalization has a long history in the United States, but on this 420, the unofficial holiday celebrating it, polls show Americans are smoking more marijuana than ever and doing it legally. Senior data reporter Harry Anton is here with this morning's number. Good morning. Good morning. I'm good. There he is. That's back in my day. I love a good Rick James and Tina Marie. I went to a concert once. They were so high. It was amazing. I got to record you and play you later when I can actually do something about it. <laughs> In any event, uh, this morning's number is 30 billion U.S. Wow. legal marijuana sales in 2022. $30 billion. Legal. To- legal. This is legal. We got no- who knows what's going on in the illegal market. And that 30 billion top chocolates, 18 billion. That's how popular and how much money is being made just from legal. Marijuana, and I think you get an understanding here. Marijuana is legal in 20 states plus the District of Columbia. You could see these states range right in their political preferences. You get blue states like New York, but then you get a red state like Missouri. And keep in mind, all these states have legalized marijuana since 2012. So this is really just a fresh phenomenon. And they're making tons of money on this. They are making right? a lot of money. The because, of thing, because of the taxes? Because of the And the, the weird thing, that's, what, that's why people want it regulation. But the weird thing, you have people sitting in jail who are selling a little bit of marijuana. Oh, now you yeah. have people becoming billionaires yeah. of marijuana. So they got to get that straight. But is there any sign that marijuana's appeal is waning at all? Yeah. So first off, you know, I, I would point out that part of the reason why marijuana has, you know, the, the legalization push has really become so entrenched in our society is because people just find it far less dangerous than they did back in 1974, right? What's more dangerous, alcohol or marijuana? Back in 74, it was basically split. But look where we are in 2022, right? Alcohol, the overwhelming plurality say it's more dangerous than marijuana. That being said, Don, as you point out, is there any sign that perhaps this push for legalization is slowing down a little bit? And I will point out that we had a bunch of referendum, right, ballot measures in 2022 and 2023 in some red states. And the no side won in these three states. In Oklahoma, it won with 62 percent. North Dakota, 55 percent. And South Dakota, in 53 percent. Of course, these are some really red states. But, you know, I think if you walk on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, right, let's say you walk on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning, sometimes that stench of marijuana just kind of hits you. At least it does for me. And... <laughs> It's everywhere. I, no, my kids are like, what is, what am I smelling? Yeah. What are you smelling? And so in Dobbs Ferry, New York, which of course is a suburb of New York City, right? It's just a little bit north of here. There was a marijuana dispensary referendum just last month. And no, overwhelmingly won. And this is a very, very blue village. So I do think that there's sort of this pushback of people saying, I want it legal, but I don't want to smell it everywhere. Yeah, well, it's a stench, but some people like it. So it's an aroma for some people. Okay, Don. Or others. Are you going to sing us out? No, no, no. I'm not going to sing it out. But listen, I understand the smell. You're gonna, you don't have to just go to the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You can go anywhere mm-hmm. and you'd smell marijuana. You can walk outside of this building. People, people do it on their lunch break or their smoke breaks. Yeah. It's legal. It's become like smoking it's, tobacco. It's legal. Yeah. Mary Thank you, Jane. Who? Harry. Harry. Now this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Read. <laughs> uh, oh, I forgot to read.
It only happens a few times a century. <laughs> Stunning images of last night's rare hybrid solar eclipse. Next. Wonder how I forgot to read. <laughs> They tell me that's Pink Floyd's Eclipse. <laughs> so they Pink tell Floyd. me. <laughs> I know who Bobby. they are. From their Dark Side of the Moon album released back in 1973, overnight some people were treated to a rare hybrid solar eclipse. A hybrid is, is when an eclipse shifts between a total eclipse and an annular, annular eclipse, depending on where you are on the planet. This one was the view from Australia, but the U.S. missed out this time around, according to NASA. The next hybrid eclipse takes place in 2031. So you can go to your legal dispensary and put <laughs> on some Pink Floyd and look up in the sky and, get high and, and look make at the it eclipse. a night. <laughs> there, there's one option. <laughs> make it a night and you'll sleep very well. Right. There you go on this 420. Um, CNN News Central starts right now. <laughs> That is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.